to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics. And I'm talking about comic books. I'm here with my brother, Will Hines. Hello. My name is... Uh, hi, sorry, Will, I didn't let you speak. That's okay. Uh, my name is Kevin Hines, and this is a podcast where Will and I discuss comics that have meant to us a lot, generally when we were kids. But as we go on, we might touch on stuff that when we were older. Mm-hmm. And this is our second full season, and we are discussing the Fantastic Four run by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, which is enormously long. Yes, it's 102 issues plus another 100 annuals. <laughs> yeah, 100 annuals. Mm-hmm. They did an annual every month. Yep, we've been doing this podcast this season um, since 1973. We're about to wrap it up, Kevin. We're gonna we're planning on getting through the last of the issues today. That's right. And then we're going to do sort of a wrap-up episode next week about the Fantastic Four again. Yeah, because we haven't talked enough about them. No, but I, I do want to do a wrap-up episode. And then we're going to do one more episode this season, right, Will? That's right. Should we talk about that? Yes, we're going to do a special episode on why. Watchmen, because I've been watching the TV show, and Kevin, you have too, is that right? Yeah, I'm all caught up on it. We'll do a special episode on Watchmen, but that is not this episode, nor next one, but the next one. And then that'll be the end of season two. And we'll talk a little bit more about that, I guess, next week. Yep. Today we're going to start with issue 97 and go through the final issue, 102, or at least that's our plan. S- six issues, I think we can do it. Chump we change. Sort of, what was that? Chump change. Chump change? Easy. Chump change? Yeah. Yeah. Last episode, we sort of got through the last kind of big Kirby Lee arc, which was where Thing was dragged to a gangster planet to fight in a gladiator battle. <laughs> right. And now we're sort of in this uh, run of done-in-one, one-issue storylines, but we're also going to hit issue 100, which is a milestone. Anyway, you cut the... Uh, uh, mustard? The, yeah, cut the mustard. <laughs> anyway, you look at these numbers, 100 <laughs> is a milestone. Yeah, 100 is a pleasing number. It's I nice mean, and it round. Is, it, really impressive that the same two guys made 100 issues of a comic ever i know sometimes you're kind of like oh why didn't it? you know like steve didco left spider-man after issue 38 or whatever you're like oh why did he leave it was going so well these guys <laughs> these guys stayed with it yeah i mean 100 issues is what we're talking six years seven years seven that maybe almost eight years yeah that's a long time to work on one batch of characters yep and stan stays on for a while longer which is uh, also crazy i mean i guess it's less impact to him yeah, he doesn't come up with the characters or break down the story, so it's easier. But uh, and this was and this was one of the books that Kirby was like really putting time into. This and Thor, from what I understood, so it's it's not like he did for a couple issues of Hulk and here and there. He would kind of jump into other books and and put a lot of time in or do breakdowns or kind of do some real quick short runs or short uh, bits of work here and there. But the stuff he like this was like intensive for him. I got to imagine like this and Thor took a lot out of him, and to do that for eight years. Even if he was happy at Marvel, you'd think he'd want to move on. Yeah, um, he loved he loved this book. There's no there's no way around it. There's no yeah. two ways about it. Any way you cut the mustard, he loved this book. Yeah. Oh man, cutting the mustard. <laughs> you gotta cut it. <laughs> that means like passing gas, right? Am I being correct on that? I think that's. What uh, that I means. think it's a it's a World War One phrase about oh. how to stop. Mustard gas from no, spreading and killing I, everyone. Jeez, I had no idea. My gosh, I, I shouldn't be no. using that so cavalierly. Yeah, you say cut the mustard. You're basically offending people's grandparents. Wow. Well, good. Or their great grandparents. I, I, I don't know. Great grandparents. I, I never liked that generation. Yeah, the greatest. The greatest generation, or is that no, World War II? One before. It's one before. S- What's that? The silent generation? Uh, I think they were the lost generation because they all got the lost killed. Generation. <laughs> <laughs> no one liked them. Yeah. Um, all right. The silent generation was like right before the boomers. Uh, yes. Or the, I think, yeah, I think of them as the uptight generation. The like rock and roll's not going to last generation. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm a Gen Xer. You're, you are too, right? Well, I'm a Gen Xer, yeah. Yeah, I'm right at the tail end of Gen X and uh, I feel it. I forget what our thing is. I think we temp a lot. I mean, I think it's all sort of the same, right? It just depends what age you are. Yeah. We're just gra- we're, now we're just grouchy old men, whatever generation. Everybody becomes, once you're yeah. over 40, it's the same generation. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the Fantastic Four, though. They are the greatest generation. They served in World War II. They did. So uh, let's talk about the greatest generation, starting with issue 97. Yes. And this is called The Monster from the Lost Lagoon. Not the Black and, Lagoon. That's right. Okay. So don't think that we're copying something. This and is, is the, it... Would it be too much to say that this is the greatest single issue of the Fantastic Four? I think it would be too much to say that, okay. yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I can't uh, even I think it's, remember this one. I think it's one. dumb. It's dumb. It's a dumb issue. Uh, these issues I cannot even remember. We reread them for this podcast, and I had read them one time before that, and I, they never stick in my brain. I, I feel like if Jack Kirby is not coasting, I am. 
at least. Uh, I skimmed them just before we started recording, so hopefully I have some knowledge of what's going on. If you have any questions, hopefully I can answer them. Okay, who's this guy that turns into flame? Okay, that is, I believe his name is Mr. Fantastic. Okay, great. And there's a rock dude. Is he, like, mad? No, he's not real. Oh, You're imagining that. (laughs) I'm I'm projecting an imaginary figure. Okay, because he's involved. (laughs) I mean, that's you. You. These stories have little action. Hmm. Well, why don't we get into it, Kevin? The splash page has the FF... Or really, the Fantastic Three, because Sue is all but relegated out of these adventures. Yeah, home, and Crystal home watching the re- baby. And Crystal to replace Sue had been stolen away by Medusa a few issues ago for, for, as far as Johnny can tell, no reason. Yes, but what we know it's something about Black Bolt. Yeah, we're gonna find out why in a few issues. Okay. I spoiled it last episode. If you missed that episode, I'm not gonna spoil it again until we get to it. There's a reason why Crystal was kidnapped, and there's no reason why they didn't tell Johnny. So we open on this issue. So Sue's out of the picture, and her replacement. Johnny's girlfriend, Crystal, the weather-controlling inhuman, is also out of the picture. So we have the Fantastic Three. Mr. Fantastic, the thing, Johnny Storm in some sort of undersea vehicle that is surfacing in time to see three dolphins leap over them, which I'm telling you, that's a fun splash page. Yeah, four dolphins. Oh, yeah. Not inked by Joe Sinnott. Not as good, although I like some of these panels. Yeah, this doesn't look that bad. The it's thing also suffers, cr- I think, the most when Joe's off the book. Yeah, Reed, Reed looks more human. Yeah. He looks less just like the angriest bouncer I've ever seen. The credits are interesting. It's credited, it, you know, usually it'll say something like written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby, inked by whatever. This just says a Stan Lee, Jack Kirby mystery thriller with no break down of what they did. I wonder if that's Stan's way of trying to please Jack. Yeah. Or maybe Stan drew this one. Maybe Stan drew it. Yeah. I mean, he really should advertise that ability more. It's pretty good if he did. Yeah. I mean, I'd say if the, he drew this, he's Kirby-esque. Yeah. Okay. So we have these guys, they're cruising underwater. Kevin, do they explain why they're doing that or is it just let's have fun? There has been talk of ships vanishing, uh, talk of a, either a monster or a monster man being involved. And so Reed is taking his vacation to investigate this mystery. Okay, and as they swim along, they see a whale and there is a human figure, humanoid figure clinging to it. And they're not sure if they see that or not. Yeah, they don't get a good glimpse of it. So they don't, they don't believe they saw it. So they just go back to their vacation. That's right. Johnny goes back and uh, women fawn over him, but he's... Still missing Crystal. Uh, Reed goes and makes out with his wife. And I don't know where Ben goes. We don't even see Ben. But then we do. We cut to this humanoid figure. They did see a humanoid figure, Kevin. He's sending some green, sending some green dude with an egg-shaped head. A lack of headgear or capes, which is rare in recent Kirby bad guys. They're usually super outfitted with crazy headgear. But this is no headgear. There's some sort of device. And once he manipulates it, he looks totally regular human. Yeah. And on this page, he you're talking about page seven where he turns himself into a human. Uh, this page and the next page, he is talking. Yeah. Uh, and then he never speaks again in this issue. Oh, that's interesting. And I don't know why. Oh, okay. Um, he thinks to himself a lot. And people talk about how he's not talking. But he seems like he can talk. Yeah, I wonder if that's a mistake or if Jack meant that and Stan just rushed through this. Yeah, I don't know. So we see him go to the surface and he goes to some sort of SeaWorld-like that's right. theme park and just impresses everybody with his abilities. Yeah, he rides around on dolphins. Uh, like one foot on each dolphin, which I think would kill those animals. I mean, I, if I'm in the audience, I remember it. Sure, sure. And who's in the audience? Well, the Fantastic Three. Yeah, Sue did not come to the show. Yep. It's If you're raising a child, you can't go and watch a show, but your husband can. Yeah. Kids don't like animal attractions. Only no. That's for adults only. That Any parent knows that. You have a kid. Yeah. He doesn't like animals. Am I right? Oh, he, if, I love to go to the zoo and leave my wife and child at home alone <laughs> every weekend. So the Fantastic Three are watching this dude and Reed starts to suspect something about this mystery man doing all these stunts. Yeah, he's so good with uh, sea animals. He's like, maybe he's related to this monster man we've heard about. And he sort of like reaches into the tank and probes around, which I mean, don't do. Seems rude. Seems really rude. So uh, and and then they hire this mystery man to be their guide into the ocean. He can't speak, but I guess somehow Reed decides he's agreed with them. And so they get into their submersible craft. A lot of Jack Kirby stories are sort of like they feel like I've said this before, like kind of old school adventures, like the kind of thing that like Disneyland was built on. Like, ooh, we're gonna get into a submarine, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> things that like boy adventure type quests. Things that I think I w- I would imagine kids with coonskin caps and spinning hoops would like daydream about doing. Yeah, I mean, this is a 20,000 leagues under the sea type thing. Yeah, so they take this guide and he is shirtless. He's he's just in his swimsuit. Yeah. Uh, he's pointing at things, he's, he's gesturing, he's not speaking to them, and then all of a sudden he punches the side of the submarine and leaps out. Which uh, wrecks it. 
Sorry. Sorry, my Siri kicked in for some reason. I don't know what I said that triggered her. Is your Siri... Do you activate your Siri by saying, um, I can't remember anything you just said? Uh, I have Siri turned off, so I don't know why she turned on. I'm a little scared right now. Maybe Siri's super invested in the Fantastic Four. Maybe Apple has it built into all series. If somebody is talking about the Fantastic Four comics, get involved. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Like they, Apple needs to own these Marvel IPs and they'll steal them through my voice. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, the mystery man has burst through the side of the sub, leaving them like trapped in mud or something. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, Reed has like a, a spear gun. He shoots it out. He gets out. But he and Johnny can't hold their breath long enough. But luckily the thing can. And he swims them to a little air pocket, air pocket in the cave. Uh, there's always air pockets in caves. Always. Always. If you think you're about to drown, but you are in a comic book, look for an air pocket. Yeah, go deeper is my advice. Don't uh, go to the surface. Go deeper. Find that air pocket. Then they come face to face with the creature. Page 15. Yeah. Who doesn't speak. I'm, I'm going to belabor that because I think it's weird, but he does not speak. It is weird. I don't mind that he doesn't speak, but it's weird that he spoke at first. Yeah. Um. So it's the creature... Which we know is the man that there is their guide, but they don't know that. Yeah, that's right. He looks like Ambush Bug. A little bit, without antennas. What characters, yours, and I'm sure everyone who's listening knows who I'm talking about. Ambush Bug, probably the second most popular DC character after Superman. Yep, Superman, Ambush Bug, Batman, the Heckler. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Good for the Heckler, man. He made a, that eight issues that he was in really did, made it. Okay, so they start to battle this creature because it's like, what? This dude's weird. Yeah. The thing punches him a bunch. Uh, Johnny wakes up and flames at him. I mean, they attack this guy immediately. Attack him immediately, but then they follow him and they find that he's got some sort of craft and they put together that he's an alien. There is a female member of his species aboard the ship. This is sort of like Shape of Water, the sequel. Yeah. And he's loading up plastic globes of water and he's taking water from our planet yeah to help him on his journey home reed surmises i like that the woman has stayed in the ship because that that fits the ff's sort of mentality yeah misogyny is cross species yeah and reed sees that and he goes oh i see what's happening you didn't want to spend time with your wife <laughs> this I you're get. an okay guy and so they help him out and he leaves yeah no, they, they don't they, even help I don't him. Even they, know just... they help him. they just watch him leave and he flies away. So, and, and Reed surmises that he was probably their guide because their guide was super strong and could punch away through the uh, side of a sub. Yeah, I went swimming through the ocean with no problems. Pretty good. Pretty, I, I, that, that, I think, is not so much of a leap. Um, yeah, that issue is weird. It's just sort of like the story is the, the man that we thought was a man is an alien. Yeah, and it had like, I guess ships are missing, but we don't really know if those were related to him or not or if those ships have just almost found him or how... I, there's a lot of questions. Why was Reed even looking into this? Yeah. Uh, the last panel is really funny, Will. Talk about it. It's the thing. Uh, the, th the second to last panel, the thing says, I can't even tell if we won or not. <laughs> uh, and then the last panel, he goes, but one thing's for sure. If they ever make this into a movie, this will be the perfect spot for a fade out. <laughs> what an... <laughs> It's just like an improviser being like, I sure would hate for this scene to end right now. Yeah, it is basically saying, like, I don't know how to end this story, so I'm just going to say this is the end. <laughs> anyway, it was a bad issue. Yes, Doomsday on the Moon. Yeah, or the splash page is called Mystery on the Moon, so I don't know what the official title is. Um, and so this is an interesting issue because this issue is all about human beings, non-Fantastic Four human beings, landing on the moon. Yeah, which is, of course, in real life a huge, huge deal. And so... Probably Stan and Jack, as they're making the issue, that's a big deal. So they work it into their story, which is fun. But it's a little weird since the Fantastic Four have been to the moon like every other week they go to the moon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've got a summer house there. They have a ship that they can go to the Skrull Galaxy like from their Manhattan penthouse. Going to the moon, by the time Kennedy got NASA to get to the moon, he must have been like, why didn't Reed help us? Yeah, Reed has been to the moon. We're going to send men to the moon. Not because it's hard, but because the Fantastic Four have already been there. <laughs> That's a pretty good Kennedy for me, I think. Well, I guess maybe that's what you should do from now on. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to now be a, a Kennedy impersonator. <laughs> what if it took off? What if it exploded in popularity? Like, people could not get enough of you doing Kennedy. I mean, I, I'd be into it. I would like to be the brother of the guy who's the biggest Kennedy impersonator of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> there's an opening. So we open with a good... Typical FF panel, which is Reed looking at a bunch of stuff. He, in, the, in particular, he's looking at like some kind of garbled message. 
uh, an alien message that he intercepted. So he's and he's also telling his wife to shut up. <laughs> he's telling his wife to shut up. Also important to that splash page. Quiet, honey. I can't talk to you now. Sue has a premonition. And uh, she is allowed to have female intuition in these stories, so that's probably going to be true. Yeah. The message contains <laughs> – this is funny. Reed's looking at the message. We can see it. It's like ticker tape coming out of a machine. Um, I'm looking on page two, panel three. And yeah. in the middle of all this garble, there is an English word, tranquility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And two panels later, we see the thing reading a newspaper that says, Sea of Tranquility, target for moonwalk. Yeah. The clues are all there for you, the reader, to put together. Johnny flies home from flying around, makes fun of thing a little bit. Reed sees the newspaper and immediately puts together something about his alien message is connected to the moon trip. And then we cut to the Cree century that they fought, uh, I don't remember when. Oh, that's right. Who- and, they just, and they just left him on an island they left him on an island maybe in a caved in uh, uh, area but he was also like super hard to fight and really strong right so he activates leaves that place goes to an island site and does something big and i'm not sure what it is the isle is risen yeah this whole issue is sort of confusing so the Cree sentry seems to want to stop us from reaching the moon okay i'm not 100 sure why okay the sentry's just been told to do that uh, and how he does that is he has like a device in this underground island that does something. okay so he's doing something maybe to stop us from going to the moon we'll never know why but then we cut back on page seven to sue and thing's girlfriend alicia and they're they're caring for baby franklin because the men have a job to do well uh that might be true but alicia's clothes are great <laughs> yeah she's a good dresser uh, maybe maybe the women are relegated but women get to be in civvies more often than men and i love jack kirby drawn people in their regular civilian clothes yeah johnny had spent a number of issues in his civilians uh and seeing him in costume again almost feels like a breath of fresh air to see this guy rejoining the team because now the crystal is gone he's full-on member i think there i still think there's a subplot where johnny was thinking of quitting the ff yeah and just moving away with crystal and now that she's gone he's like well might as well dig into the superhero thing again so yeah he's committed and so but so the ff know about the kree thing somehow and so they're getting into and their they pogo track plan. a signal or something so they're, they're going to go to this island that is now risen that we saw the sentry sort of activating. So the FF are going there. Johnny immediately starts blowing stuff up. Uh, then we cut away to uh, everybody watching the, the, the rocket take off for the moon landing. What's going on, Kevin, on page 11, panel three? I think it is Russians. Okay, yeah. So we're making fun of how we're beating the Russians in the space race here. Ivan, it is not possible. How can they beat us there? We had the head start. Kevin, your characters are incredible this episode. Thank you. Thank you. I've been working on it. Let me try one. Do not worry, Sanya. When they land <laughs> okay. on a moon, we can always claim we invented it. Yeah, that's pretty good, too. How's that for a Russian accent? Is that good? Um, it feels too stereotypical, but otherwise, <laughs> little fine. cliche. There's also a classic Stan Lee humor. There's some classic Stan Lee humor in panel two where the cop seems to be pulling over a cab. Yeah. You heard me, pal. Pull that heap over to the curb, Charlie. And the cabbie goes, you can't give me a ticket now. I'm tuned in to Mission Control. And then the cop responds, who said anything about a ticket? I want to hear what's happening up there. And since you got your radio on. You know what? I do think that's funny. And it is the the landing on the, the excitement over landing on the mood is something that I still get into. Like, I still think yeah. that's fun. Like there was a documentary recently where they about the the Apollo moon mission just using um. Mostly footage from the time, like news reports and sort of documentary footage that sort of really went into the details of the trip itself, like the prep Mm -hmm. of it and stuff. And it was so compelling and fun. Did it talk about how it's all fake, though? I mean... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went all into that. They're like, and now this is the part that is faked. (laughs) There's also a huge section in the middle about how vaccines don't work. And then they showed how the Twin Towers in New York are still up. Oh, wow. I thought so. Yeah, pretty crazy. And then it ends with Stan Lee drawing. They're like, Stan Lee drew all the Fantastic Four. And it's like, I can't believe this is in here. That's a good documentary. <laughs> yeah, it was like five hours long. So um, uh, so men are getting to the moon. That's exciting. But meanwhile, the Cree sentry, um, who has a hat like a Scottish Tam. He also calls his device the stimulator. Which is gross. Yeah. It's like a big dildo or something like that. I don't, yeah, and I don't it like looks it. like a vibrator. Well, you know, Kirby's a virile guy. You know, he's sexual. He's he's mm-hmm. in touch with his sexuality. Reed is a pretty phallic dude, just being able to stretch into long objects. I don't, I don't know. Maybe maybe this is going to be a sexy time, a sexy awakening for the Fantastic Three. Let's see. Maybe that'll happen. I can't remember how this goes. Maybe that'll happen. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So they start fighting the Kree sentry because the FF kind of just tends to fight first. 
talk later. They see something, they attack it immediately. <laughs> in this case, I think they were right. They were right. A lot of times it, they fight, and at the very end, they go, "Hey, can we borrow something?" And the guy's like, "Of course." Uh, this time, they did know this guy's an enemy. They've had a, they've had beef with him before. At some point, right. there's a there's like a compartment uh, into the inner workings of the island, and Johnny flies into it. Yeah, and it's like a machine. That's the stimulator. The stimulator, and it's tracking Apollo's thing to the moon, so it's trying to threaten us. And, like, when they get close to the stimulator, they lose their powers or something. Oh, I didn't know that. I mean, their powers just don't work as well. I don't know. It's all confusing. We do cut to footage of the Apollo mission going to the moon, and there's sort of, like, really fun Jack Kirby drawings of the lunar module approaching the moon. Yeah, I mean, I got to think Kirby was way into it. Uh, He also cuts to underneath the moon and says there's, like, a magma layer in the moon that something's happening. That's what the stimulator is involved with. Okay, right. So that's what the stimulator is going to activate this hidden magma layer in the moon that will thwart the mission. That's right. Okay. I mean, that would be terrible if if we landed on the moon and immediately a a sea of magma killed them. That would be bad. Um, You know, the crazy thing is we didn't know if something like that would happen. Like, of course, that's a far-fetched thing. But again, watching this documentary, it's like, yeah, what happens when we land on the moon? Is it going to be all right? <laughs> like, is just like it going to be different somehow? Like, prob- probably not, but we don't know. Like, what if you land on the moon? What, what if every time you touch the moon, the whole thing lights up in flame? Wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> or just changes color. Yeah, you could like just kind of slam it with your foot and change it through a series of pleasing pastel colors. It's like, oh, the moon is a nice pastel blue now. <laughs> it's like, good. every now and then we send somebody up there just to change it. We turn it like rainbow colors in June. <laughs> <laughs> somehow the guys who control the Empire State Building lights get charge of the moon lights. <laughs> Go Mets! <laughs> Moon's blue and orange, baby. <laughs> yeah. The Grom's pitching tonight. <laughs> and so the big, so they defeat the Sentry, but the big ending is the successful moon land. Yeah, uh, the way they dest- they, dest- they have to destroy the stimulator, but Reed and Johnny lose their powers and they get close to it. So uh, Reed just goes, Ben! And then Ben punches it. The sentry uh, flies away because he's frustrated. The FF are like, fine, as long as the moon mission's safe. They're, they start heading home in their pogo plane, which is more powerful and capable than the moon rocket itself. Yes, that's right. But They've reverence, both landed on the moon and taken off from the moon on a rocket. Yeah, they've space shuttled back and forth from the moon probably like last week. But we cut. the big ending is Neil Armstrong landing on the moon. And it did give me chills when I read it. I love it. Yeah, the, the shot of his foot. Making the first footprint is really cool. You got to assume just off panel is like some candy bar that Reed left behind or something. But did you notice how Jack Kirby corrects his quote here? No. So the last two panels of this are Neil Armstrong, and in the book it's written, "That's one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind." But on the transmission, he he biffed it. He was like nervous or something, and he said, "That's one small step for man." One giant leap for mankind. He didn't say a man. Mm-hmm. Neil Armstrong blew it is what I'm saying. And Kirby would have nailed it. Kirby would have crushed it. Are you kidding me? Also, he wouldn't have settled for that. He would have been like, now. He would have like, Stan would have written him something like, now the Titanic's tumultuous toddler-like. I, I don't know. Something he good. started good, but you lost, <laughs> lost, lost your path. I'm no Stan. He said toddler. <laughs> you know, I'm no Stanley. It's kind of yeah, silly. it's not bad. I liked I mean, it better than the last issue. It feels like uh, it feels like if the FF didn't comment on the moon landing, it would be missing. I love that they did it. I think that's really fun. Because so much of this book started with them trying to get to the moon, right? Oh, that's right. I or at least into space. They took a rocket into space. It yeah, feels like it was a thing that about they should the space at least... race, the Russians. Yeah. Let's go on to issue 99. Yeah, and this sort of solves the mystery of why Crystal was kidnapped by the Inhumans, Well, Okay, great. The title of this is The Torch Goes Wild. Yeah, it's written as if he's just going to go on a romp. Yeah, it sounds like a party issue, like he's going to hit the beach. Instead, he tries to murder an entire race of beings. I mean, that would scare me. Yeah. Um. So we open in this issue, and Ben is getting Ben is looking in a mirror to see how he looks on skis, because he's thinking of going skiing. That's right. I assume Reed made him thing skis. That's nice. So that's pretty fun. And then the torch is gone, right? Yeah, so Reed comes in and says, Johnny's in trouble. You can't go skiing. We've got to go save Johnny. He's flown off to kill all the Inhumans to get Crystal back. So he's flying halfway across the world. Um, We see shots of him doing that. He explains that he went up above the stratosphere to make it a shorter trip, that he took a rest. Mm -hmm. That would work. Um, he He has to dodge some Hunter missiles when he flies over Kami airspace. Yep, does it easily. He takes a rest in the Himalayas. He finds a cave and takes a nap. And in this cave, he runs into... We see, a, as he's sleeping, a claw hand reach in from out of panel and declare him an outsider. And mm-hmm. Joe, Joe Sinnott is back on the job, by the way. Yeah, things are looking sharp. He's looking sharp, baby. So Johnny, on his way to meet Crystal, is in a cave, 
and some unknown creature is interfering with him, Kevin. That's right. What would John Kennedy say about that? Uh, I don't think I can do it a second time. (laughs) (laughs) You're out of gas. (laughs) I don't think I I can pull it off twice. Well, let me know if you get get recharged. (laughs) All right, all right. Um, Okay, so we cut back to the Baxter building and the Fantastic Three, which is Sue, Reed, and Ben, Sue being allowed to come. Yeah, if Johnny's Uh, not around, they'll bring Sue. Uh, they're in yet another device. They have more flying devices than the Smithsonian Museum. Yeah, this is a UFO. This is just a straight-up flying saucer they are using. As they're as they're flying up into space to get across the globe, they run into a meteor shower, and they have to fly through it. Yeah, and they get hit by one in the last panel of their little section. So we cut back to Johnny, and he is battling what looks like some kind of monstrous Yeti man. Yeah, it's like a Yeti in hot pants. It's a Yeti in hot pants. Uh, Kirby monsters always have, they're always rocking pretty cool shorts, and this guy's no exception. He talks. Johnny calls him a talking abominable snowman. Love the word abominable. And it turns out this guy is an inhuman, and he thinks Johnny is an inhuman too. That's a safe guess. He has inhuman-like powers. That's right. Uh, But since Johnny keeps attacking him, the man runs away and, like, locks the door behind him. Which means that Johnny was right on the verge of of where the Inhumans are, and then he finds within this mountain a passageway to some sort of – to the Great Refuge? I guess. Or where do they live now? It's it's not really spoken, but it's where all the Inhumans live. And Johnny blows the door down. And, like, uh, top of page eight, he is destroying the entrance of this city. He didn't knock. This is a military attack. I mean, this is an act of war. It for sure is. This is horrific. This is Silver Surfer-like damage. (laughs) Yeah. Another hero of the Marvel Universe. But uh, Jack Kirby, man, you got to show that action every couple of pages. So if there hasn't been action and there's a hero in the panel, he's going to start destroying stuff. Yeah. So then Johnny just works his way through the defenses of the city, immediately gets to the throne room, the center of the city, where the main Inhumans are, the ones that we know, are all sitting around Black Bolt. Just before that, on page 10, he after destroying part of the city, he lands and tells somebody, hold your fire, which is a crazy thing to say after you've blown up parts of the city. He goes, uh, I demand an audience in the palace of Black Bolt. And they go, it must be granted. Such is our law. That's a bad law. Bad law. Anybody who asks to see the king can just do it. Yeah. So they take him to Black Bolt, this man who is, I assume, killed some people. Yeah. But and they he shows take up and yeah, the, the, the royal family is all hanging out. So that's Black Bolt, the man whose voice is like a nuclear bomb. Crystal, Johnny's girlfriend who controls the weather. She's wearing her FF costume. A Medusa, the woman with living hair. Karnak, who's good at chopping stuff. And Triton, the undersea man. That's right. All right. So they're all here. We don't see Gorgon. Yeah, so he's the only one that's really missing. That's right. And, we and that's see important Lock- to the story, Will. That's and important to the story. We don't see Lockjaw either. No, he's not important. Okay. So uh, Johnny uh, starts fighting everybody. He's mad. So what's Crystal say on page 11, Will? Johnny, my darling, you must leave at once. Go back where you came from. There's nothing you can do. I cannot explain, but you must trust me and you must leave me. Right. Most of that is not true. She could tell him. She could tell him. There's no reason it needs to be a secret. There's no reason Johnny can't be here for this. Uh, there's nothing Johnny can do, but he could hang out. He could find out what's going on. Yeah. Anyway, but yes, then Johnny attacks the Inhumans. That answer was not good enough for him, so he attacks. Now, even though it's weird that Crystal doesn't tell him what's going on, if your loved one said, trust me, get out of here, wouldn't you at least consider getting out of there? Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, looks, uh, she looks fine. You know, she's not like in danger. She's not in danger. It is obnoxious to attack your girlfriend family yeah because your girlfriend doesn't want to go on a date with you yeah i i'm gonna go on a limb here and say don't do that listeners yeah if you ask somebody out and they go out with you a few times move in with you uh, spend all their time with you and then go home for a couple days don't beat up their family johnny's being very aggro but the inhumans are ready to fight so we get into a little battle here uh we cut away to the fantastic three who because of the meteor shower had to land in like tibetan plateaus or whatever in Mongolia somewhere, maybe. And they're just sort of hanging out with... Villagers. Signing autographs, and, and Sue's enjoying meeting these people while Reed fixes their uh, flying saucer. Which they he does, and so they get back in the ship. They almost forget Ben, but Reed reaches his stretchy arm out and grabs him. Ben has to, like, throw the ship to help launch it. Oh, I see. So he throws the ship, and then they, then they pull him up into it. Uh, we cut back to Johnny, who's accusing Crystal of cheating on him, I think, or lying to him, or... Leaving him. That she never really liked him. And uh, that finally gets Crystal mad. Yeah. And so she attacks Johnny. Yeah. And uh, she feels bad about hurting him. But she knocks him out. It's pretty cool how powerful Crystal is. Yeah. When she uses her power for... And she didn't even... She's like, I didn't mean to unleash so much power. It doesn't seem like she used all her power. Right. She could have done more. Triton mm-hmm. is trying to explain, but Johnny's too mad. 
He thinks he's been cheated on. I've been two-timed. Explain what that. I've been two-timed by an expert, and they're trying to knock him out before he flames on, but he does flame on. So he becomes his flame self, goes out into the city, and he is angry. He creates a fireball, I don't know, the size of a small city block, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and fires it at the city. Yeah, I mean, he should go to jail, right? Yeah, he should be on trial for war crime. The fantastic. Uh, and the only thing that stops him is uh, a carbon rod that Reed shoots at the flaming ball, which happens off screen or something. Yeah, it flies through the screen, and then oh, I uh, see. J- Johnny's like, "Who did that?" And then we cut to Reed standing all manly with a gun. He looks pretty great. His hair is blown in the wind. Yeah, I mean, it's sexy. You can see what Sue sees in him. Um, so now the Fantastic Three are trying to calm Johnny down, which they do right away, and then everybody apologizes. Yeah, uh, Sue says to him, "What's happened to you?" How can you love Crystal? How can you be her man when you act like a spoiled child, willing to harm anyone who gets in your way? And Johnny goes, okay, sis, you made your point. Yeah, there's no, like, you are one of the most powerful creatures on the planet Earth, and you could murder thousands of people in a second. So you're not allowed to just, like, lose your temper on innocent people, kind of in any way. Gorgon shows up on the last page uh, with medicine for Black Bolt. He had been stricken by a radiation experiment, and only Crystal's uh, micro shockwaves were the only thing that could keep his heart beating while they waited for the medicine, which has now arrived and Crystal can leave. They're happy and everything's fine. Yeah, they kiss. Yeah. After he tried to murder her. Her entire species. That's probably somehow part of their dynamic. And then the thing looks at the camera mm-hmm. and says, you know something? Maybe I'll make that ski trip yet. Uh, which is a bad last panel. Uh, this is a dumb issue other than I love the Inhumans. It's still better than the last two. We're, we're creeping our way up in quality, I think. Yeah, I enjoy the Inhumans. I enjoy the fight. I like seeing Johnny let loose. It just doesn't make any sense. So let's go on to issue 100, Kevin. I say no, Will. I say let's take a break. Oh, yeah, good idea. We'll take a break right now, and we will be right back. No, we won't. Yes, we will. I don't think we will be back. Hey, it's us again, your hosts, Kevin and Will Hines, and we want to hear from you. That's right. You can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at screwitcomics. We also have an Instagram account where we post images from the comics that we talk about, and that's screwitcomics on Instagram. That's three different ways to connect with us. Tell us your thoughts about the issues we're talking about or the format of the show or our life choices that have led us to this point. Reach out and tell us anything, honestly, and we might talk about it on a future episode of this podcast. Thanks for listening to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. And we are back. I was wrong. You're wrong. We're back. Kevin, uh, we're now going to do issue 100, uh, which the cover says, this is it, the spectacular long-awaited 100th anniversary issue featuring villains, villains, villains. And the cover has uh, the Fantastic Five, Crystal and Sue are there, and they're fighting everybody from Doc Doom to Submariner to Sandman. Mad to thinker. the Red Ghost. I see the super apes. Kevin, what do you think about comic books convention? This says the 100th uh, issue anniversary of saying the word anniversary, even though it is not. Because an anniversary would have to be a multiple of 12, right? That's right. Does it bother you? Do you find that, does that anger you? I don't think about it at all. I'm not a... Uh, sure. I don't care about grammar mistakes and things like that. They don't, it doesn't bug me. Or like people misusing literally bothers me a little bit. That's all I can think of in that like realm. It's all I think about. Okay. That's a hard life. So this is called The Long Journey Home. Kevin. Yeah. So we're picking right up where we left off, basically. Yeah, their their UFO has been shot out of the sky or something. So now they're landing just on some weird place, and Johnny sends up a flame four in the sky. To let them know where their saucer is. He finds their saucer, and it's crashed, and some weapon took them out, and we don't know what. That happened, like, in between issues. Yes, that's right. And then uh, somebody shoots them with some sort of wind gun, and it is Kang the Conqueror. Somebody, I believe, has never been in the Fantastic Four. Kang the Conqueror, right. And that's different than Claw, right. Okay, yeah, we've never seen It's also different than uh, Mortis the Time Guy or Rama Tut. Uh, the other time traveler. So if it was Rama Tutt, it would make sense. He'd been in this comic before, but. What is, but Kang is part of the Marvel Universe. He's just not part of He's an Avengers foe. Okay. Doctor, we see Doctor Doom here. Is this Yeah, Ka- Doctor Doom throws a, a, a rod at them of some sort. Now, Kevin, I cannot remember this issue at all. So is this going to be like an annual where we just sort of have reasons that everybody converges, kind of? This is a bad uh, anniversary issue. I'm oh, use the anniversary word. That's too bad. Uh, I think this is dumb. It is just an excuse to have all the villains show up, but you'll see. Okay. Uh, 
Dr. Doom attacks them, uh, but, like, they vanish, right? Like, Doom attacks and Kang attacks, but now they're gone. Like Or, like, Crystal makes a tree fall on them. So they leave. Then we cut to the Puppet Master and, the mad, and this Mad Thinker, the scheduler. Right, and we find out that they're sending androids after the FF. Okay. So those were not the real Doom and Kang. Those were androids made by the Puppet Master who can control people, but he's not controlling people. He's controlling androids. And the androids are made by the Mad Thinker so they can have the powers and abilities of the villains, I guess. And they're working on one fight. They have a bunch of androids out there to fight them, we hear. And they're working on one last one, the Hulk. Okay, so, but before we get to that, we see the, they, the sentry attacks them. The next thing that attacks them is, yeah, the sentry. And then we cut back, they, they defeat him. Yeah, and then it's we, clobbering time. He goes down. They find some camels. The dragon man attacks. Right. Johnny bursts through a mountain or something. I mean, there's, there's lots of cool displays of their powers going on. There's also a lot more panels in this issue than usual. Yeah. And this is where I, I think I told you somebody had sent us some letters where people were complaining about the fewer panels. Yeah. So it seems like uh, Kirby was under an edict to go down to smaller panels. There's also less backgrounds. I wonder if that's just from working on the smaller paper that you talked about. Right. It's still a lot of backgrounds, but... So we see a lot of characters. So we see Dragon Man, and then after that, we get to the hate monger. Is he next? Uh, no, the Submariner. Submariner is next. Up. And these might all be androids, right? They're all androids. Okay. Then we get to the hate monger. I mean, Puppet Master and Mad Thinker have a deep knowledge of the FF's adventure. The Scrolls attack. Yeah. Uh, Crystal's taken out a lot of these guys single-handedly. Yeah, thank gosh for uh, Crystal. They switch from camels to riding in a cool little car, and then they get to the super apes. Yep, Red Ghost and the super apes attack. Uh, the wingless wizard shows up with the, the, the uh, with Sandman and Pace Pot Pete. So we have the Frightful Three. Um, who uh, gives... It's fun watching the wizard get floored immediately. Yep, as always. Then they take the wizard's anti-gravity discs and put them on the apes, right? Yeah, and then the super apes fly away. Yes, and now, then, by this time, Puppet Master and Mad Thinker have completed their final android, the Hulk. Right, and the Hulk attacks the Puppet Master and the Mad Thinker. <laughs> <laughs> the end. That's pretty fun. I bet you Jack enjoyed drawing this, at least. It's a fun to draw. And I mean, I guess, like, they're trying to find some excuse to bring all these characters back to make it feel momentous. Yeah. But it just doesn't feel... <laughs> it's not good. ...that important. I guess it was just an era of comics when it's like, hey... At least give them lots of punching. Yeah. I mean, I love that there's all this buildup. Like, at some point, we're going to release the Hulk, and he's going to fight the FF, and that's <laughs> going to be it for them. And then the Hulk just it just doesn't work. It attacks the, <laughs> the people who are controlling it. Also, I think, and I can't remember if this is true, a lot of the times the Puppet Master faces the FF, they never see him, so they don't even know he's involved. That's definitely true when he did the, there was a time when he was manipulating the Submariner, they had no idea. Yeah, so I feel like since the first time they faced the Puppet Master, I don't know if they've seen him. Maybe they've seen him once, I guess but it feels like he has failed. Like, if they were keeping track of how many times they've beaten the Puppet Master, they have an inaccurate count. They should add, like, ten more wins. It's appropriate that a Puppet Master is just behind the scenes pulling the strings. I mean, they also don't see the Mad Thinker in this case, so. They just think that every villain, next time they see Submariner, it's like, hey, we saw you last month. They'll be like, what are you talking about? Right, right, yeah. Remember we beat you up on that island? It's like, you guys are smoking too much weed. <laughs> That's right. The FF are super high. <laughs> Let's go to issue 101. Oh, we're getting real near the end of Kirby's. Uh, I know, I know. Stretch here. Well, unlike Ditko, which was you know we had the Master Planner saga so close to the end. This is it. Re we're really going to end with a whimper and not a bang. Yeah, I mean Ditko's last couple issues weren't that good, but he was not far from some of his best stuff. So we uh, this issue is called Bedlam in the Baxter Building. Yeah, it opens with the Thing and Alicia dancing while Johnny plays guitar and Crystal. Uh watches or dances as well maybe i love it thing is teaching alicia to dance and johnny says that's like woody allen teaching cassius clay how to box yeah yeah though i cannot see your steps ben dear i can sense your enthusiasm <laughs> uh, ben in a suit looks great he looks great i love ben in clothes me too the doorman comes up because the dancing made tons of noise so much that here in the top of the skyscraper he could hear it down in the lobby mm -hmm. must be terrifying he, for everybody but he's bringing else. a message to uh the ff oh okay so he just heard the noise from outside the door. And then it's a message saying they have to move out of the Baxter building, and it's signed, the Magia. <laughs> Mafia often signs notes, the Mafia. Or the, yeah, sorry, yeah, the Magia, right. which is the Marvel version of the Mafia. Yeah, yeah. apparently the Magia bought the Baxter building. <laughs> Whenever it's a financial plot, it makes me laugh so much. It just makes the FF seem so inept that they're like, the thing that can stop them is their lease on their building. So the, the Maggie have bought the Baxter building off of whoever owns it and are kicking the FF out. Is there a subplot here? We cut to a sleazy downtown restaurant. Oh, we're seeing them. We see the Maggie. That's right. So we're seeing like the leaders of the Maggie. 
Magia? I don't know how it's pronounced. It's like it should be Magia because it's it's a stand-in for Mafia. Yeah, but it, that just seems weird, right? But that's what it is, right? I mean, these guys yeah. are, it's like the Godfather. They're in an Italian restaurant, a bunch <laughs> of guys. I mean, it is the Mafia. I agree. Yeah. But it's just the way it's spelled looks like Magia to me. It definitely looks like Magia. Okay, well, I'm going to, we'll, we'll do both. I'll say Magia, you say Magia. Um, let's call the whole thing off. Um, <laughs> that's how that song goes, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you say, say Magia, I say, I say Magia. Magia, Magia. <laughs> that, was the, that was an early draft of the song. And then someone's like, maybe instead of Marvel criminal organizations, let's use fruit. Yeah, more accessible. Yeah. I say it would have been a bigger hit if they stuck with Magia, Magia. The guy who wrote the song was P.O.'d. You say Mysterio, I say Mysterio. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what are the, what's uh, Dr. Strange's uh, thing? The Eye of Agamotto. <laughs> you, you say, say Agamotto, I, I say Egamoti. <laughs> or they just get into like, you say Agamotto, I say Hori Host of Hoggoth. <laughs> <laughs> Different specifics. Okay, so they want to buy the Baxter building to get all the gadgets that are inside. That's right. Yeah, the the Magia are always, they're sort of like slightly super powered. Always, they have like access yeah. to like superhero things. Yeah, they have like suits that can take a bullet. So the FF are walking around Central Park Ice Rink. It looks like, and Reed is thinking, "Man, we might have to move out." <laughs> That's right. And then they see helicopters landing on the Baxter Building. And so you know, Thing is lifting a car to entertain some kids. They see the the copter, so they 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 get back, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Reed says, "Sue, go away. You're not part of this. Go take our baby to Agatha Harkness." Johnny flies over there and attacks immediately. The other FF follow shortly behind. And they get defeated. I mean, that's the short end of it. They get gassed pretty quickly, and they're all defeated. So these people, we don't know who they are. There's also this thing. I, I don't know if you noticed this. If Are you reading the, the, the same copy I'm reading? I think so. On page 12 or 13, you'll see that page 12 and 13 are on the same page. Yeah. This is a reprint, and those used to be half pages with ads underneath them. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, Marvel's trying to save money. Yeah, the FF get gas. They get thrown into, like, stone caskets. But we also find out that the guy who's been running the this operation, the, the sort of the, the, the lead henchman named Gimlet, has decided to kill the FF to show that he should be in charge. Because the, the, the top man, whatever his name is, oh, top man is his name, uh, top man told him not to kill the FF, that he wants it all nice and legal. But Gimlet's decided, this is our chance to kill the FF, and I'm taking it. So he puts them all in stone coffins and drops them in the ocean. So they're going to die, and that's the end of the FF. Yeah, and then Kirby said, why am I still on this comic? They're all dead. Yeah. I'll do one more issue. (laughs) (laughs) Crystal frees. Crystal gets free. She frees Reed. Reed frees Ben. And Ben frees Johnny. So Crystal saves the FF. Yep. So now they're up for revenge. They're going to take back the Baxter building. Meanwhile, Sue is... Sue's first uh, on the scene. She sneaks into the Baxter building in her right. invisible Right, she wasn't form. with the FF, so she went in to see what's up. She goes invisible. They detect her invisibility immediately, but I still love that Sue's being proactive for a change. Yeah, Sue's involved. Um, she starts throwing stuff at them, uh, and she's doing she's doing all right. Yeah, but they threaten. They're like, we know where your kid is, and we'll kill him if you don't become visible. So she does. And she and uh, she's become visible to activate her force shield powers. This is still a time when she can either do shields or invisibility. And she surrounds a machine gun dude with a bubble to subdue him. That's right. Also, Thing had like shown up by this point, snuck up behind this thundering rock monster, yeah. snuck up behind uh, Gimlet and his machine gun. And then, Kevin, who's the big hero here? On page 19. So yeah, Gimlet picks up a gun even though he's surrendered and gets ready to shoot, I think, Johnny? Um, and get, But he gets gassed or shot by the doorman. But, Will, it's not the doorman. It's not the doorman. Reed figures it out. It is Top Man. That's his name, That's right. I think. Yeah, you're uh, the Magia leader known as Top Man. He took a job as a doorman <laughs> to familiarize himself with the layout of the FF headquarters. And he goes, I wanted to crush you. All legal. So... He was the one that was behind the purchase of the Baxter building. Gimlet mucked up the works by trying to usurp him, but Reed mm-hmm. has now captured everybody. Yep. So they can stay, I guess, in the Baxter building? So they stay in the Baxter building and everything's fine? Yep. Even though it almost worked, the Magia will never try that again. Yep. And now, Will, we're on to the final issue This is the final Kirby issue and that- Lee's run. I remember this story being okay. Yeah, it feels like if Kirby had stayed on, this might have been the start of kind of regaining its footing. The Submariner comes back. He's a great character. So the title of this is The Strength of the Submariner, co-starring the monstrous menace of Magneto. 
Yeah, teaming up uh, Submariner Magneto seems like a cool idea to me. Yeah, they're both kind of angry, resentful, smart dudes. And they're very powerful. That's a good threat for the FF to deal with. Submariner likes to be shirtless. Magneto's got the cool helmet. It'd be nice visually. Uh, Johnny's wearing uh, a sweater that seems inspired by Black Bolt's fashion. Oh, I love that. Maybe he's picking up from the Inhumans. Yeah, he's dating an Inhuman. He's going to start dressing like an Inhuman. I like this on the first two pages. Ben's about to sneeze, and that is cause for everyone else to leave the room because he sneezes with, like, rock strength or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Things very funny on the top of page three. He's, like, sick, and uh, Reed comes in to yell at them for being loud. The sneeze was too loud. Johnny's like, things got to take his medicine, and Thing goes, pick, pick, pick. All day long, everyone picks on me. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thing's a blast. So the bottom of page three, we start to see our the our bad guys. The Submariner enters the picture. Yeah, we cut the Submariner. He's sort of just swimming around. I, I, I think he's looking for, I don't know what, why. I think there's like smoke or disturbance or something on this dinosaur island. Okay. And he finds Magneto. And I assume this is tied into an actual X-Men plot, maybe. This is where uh, Magneto fought the X-Men or something, but I don't okay. know that for sure. So yeah, he's on some monster island, right. Yeah, finds Magneto by chance. Ben puts his hand outside just to see if it's raining anymore. And then something falls in his hand and it's Johnny dropping a gift, which is medicine that he needs. Yeah. And I guess that made the thing mad. Yeah. Johnny's trying to trick him into taking medicine. But then the top of a building that Johnny is flying by breaks off and soars into the sky. Yeah. And Johnny sort of lures it into the bay. Somehow. Um, we cut back to the Baxter building and the thing's like looking out the window and lots of stuff is just sort of flying around. Yeah, the whole blamed, blamed sky is filled with all kinds of junk. Looks like it's raining tin. Yeah, and then we cut away and we find out that Magneto is doing it. He's using some sort of submariner tech to magnify his magnetic powers. So from the bottom of the ocean or wherever he is, he can do stuff in Manhattan. That's right. Then we cut to a cool splash page on page nine, a full page picture. Magneto and Namor are talking about teaming up. Yeah. Uh, Magneto's trying to convince Namor to work with him. Namor's like, ah, I'm more of a peace guy is what he says. Not true. Not true at all. But Namor thinks, Namor believes that about himself and I'll appreciate that. Okay. And uh, meanwhile, Reed is figuring out that it was a magnetic force. And he also figures out that the source of the disturbance comes from Atlantis. Yes. Uh, and then, like, more things start attacking them. Like, these wires come out of the wall and attack the thing. And they tie up Reed and they gas uh, Johnny. So they have to deal with that. And then somehow Thing is able to send a sonic wave back to Atlantis from the Baxter building. Yeah. He follows the sonic wave and he shoots a missile that follows the sonic wave at Atlantis. Okay. So they have access to missiles. That's interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So the FF have a spaceship and a military um, mm-hmm. arsenal. And they almost lost it all because of a rental agreement with the Maggie. <laughs> <laughs> so it's real dangerous. Okay, so we cut to Atlantis and they're being rocked by a missile. Submariner holds up a building with his massive strength. Um, they are mad and that convinces Namor that he should team up with... No, he doesn't need aid. Yeah, Magneto says, like, hey, you know who did this? The FF did this. And he's right. They did. Yeah. Uh, And so Namor says, okay, you can help me fight the FF. uh, Well, first Namor stops one of the missiles, but... Yeah, he stops one of the missiles. Then what is Magneto doing, Kevin, on page 18? Here's where I start to get confused. I think Um, he's, like, creating more destruction of Atlantis that he can blame on FF or something. Yeah. He doesn't say what he was doing. He's, like, rewiring something. I mean, everything he was doing is to make it seem like the FF attacked Atlantis for no reason and not because Magneto was attacking them. First. Oh, right. He's provoking the FF. That's what he's not telling people. Yes. So it looks but like I the FF. On, is, on page 18, he's doing something with the machine and he doesn't say what it is. Yeah, I think maybe Jack had an idea and Stan is not incorporating it. Yeah. Um, so Namor's generals come to his side. On page, the, on page 19, Kevin, when this guy says Imperious Rex, what does he what does that mean? That is just a thing that Namor says. I think this guy's trying to trying it on for size. Okay. You know, it's like if you were hanging out with a thing and you were like, hey, man, it's clobbering time. It'd be like, okay. 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 So Magneto asks if he can help. Submariner says, you can help. We're not co-leading. I am in charge. The bottom of page 19, the Submariner alone shall lead the attack. The Submariner alone shall crush the human race. And he sends a fleet to New York. And so it ends with war has been declared from Atlantis on the human race. Yeah. And that's where we end. And the thing looks a little sheepish since he fired a missile to start this war. <laughs> I think it's also important to know that uh, that 
at the time this issue was published, they knew Kirby wasn't doing the next issue. He turned this issue in with his resignation. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. He's like, here's um, the last issue, as promised, and also I quit. My gosh. Oh, it's so sad. So if Stan wanted to talk to somebody about, like, what's Magneto doing on this page? He's got no one to talk to. Right. So, he, yeah, he can't figure it out. Oh, man. End of an era. Well, we'll talk about that more. Stan, do you think Stan knew it was coming? I don't know. Like, Pro- for Ditko, I think prob- it seems like he, he must have known it was coming with Ditko. I bet you probably not. I bet you he knew that Kirby was upset and not happy about stuff, but thought he could work it out. Yeah, I can't. I- that's how I feel. I feel like he like knew Ditko was going to leave at some point, and then he thought Kirby would be there forever. Stan, yeah, I, I, I'm sure this has been documented. I'm sure people like Tom Brevoort know the details. But I, I've heard passing interviews where they would do things like up the page rate. Like Ditko and Kirby were being paid more per page than like anybody in the industry. But that's small potatoes compared to the money you get from owning the intellectual property itself or owning the original art or owning merchandising rights. So no no page rate amount is going to satisfy you if that is the issue. Uh, also, creative control and credit probably was a thing. But mm-hmm. I, I bet you it just came down to the big bucks. Martin Goodman is becoming probably a millionaire and someday a billionaire off of their characters. And they're not getting anything remotely proportional a piece of it and remind me where you stand on that you're pro martin goodman i am pro exploiting creative people 100 percent. i am right and i am on the side of the corporation at all times i thought so okay good so if to make you sure we're clear. set up an office and hire a creative person and they agree to get paid by you you own everything they do for the rest of their lives that's what i think okay good good all right so the good guys won in this great <laughs> okay, no, fantastic yeah jack kirby leaving is that's good for capitalism Great. Awesome. Uh, but yeah, we'll go into We'll talk more about this specifically and generally uh, next episode, I guess. Yeah, but that's the end of the issues, Kevin. Congratulations. Yeah, we did it. 102 issues. Uh, it felt like 101. Yeah, it didn't feel like 102. It felt like more like 100, 101 issues. Yeah. Uh, should we do some email? Sure. Uh, I'm going to read some emails. If you want to email us, you can email us at screwitspidey at gmail.com. Yes. Our Twitter is screwitcomics. And our Instagram, which is really great and I highly recommend, is screwitcomics. Please follow our Instagram and like those photos and let us know that you are alive. So let me just pull up a couple emails here. This one, just sort of related to what we were just talking about, is from Luke Chilton. Okay. He sent us uh, a couple images. I'm going to, how do I do this? I'm going to send them to you, Will. All right, I'm ready. A second. I have a cat now attacking me. Nice. So what this is is sending you some pictures of the Hulk, Will. That's what you should be seeing soon. Okay, I'm excited. I've sent them both. So the first one, this is from Kirby, King of Comics, by Mark Evaner. Okay. Uh, and it reproduces a couple images. In 1969, Jack Kirby was asked by Marvel to draw some promotional mail-order posters. When the execs saw them, they thought the Hulk poster should be drawn by the current artist on the book, Herb Trim. However, they liked the layouts and designs, so they just asked Herb to reproduce it. You can see the results below. Uh, Jack received no payment for this work. Apparently, no. this was one of the many, many reasons that convinced Jack to quit the company and go to D.C., and if you look at these two images of the Hulk, the first one by Kirby, the second one by Herb, they're both good images, I think. Honestly, Herb did a good job, but it is he just drew the same exact thing that Kirby drew. Yeah, he just copied the Kirby's idea totally. Layout, composition, everything. There's a, bit, a Walt Simonson feel to the Kirby image. A little angular. I think I like the Kirby one a little better. It's a little more unique and kind of innovative. But yeah, they both look beautiful. They both look really—they're just yeah, both great I drawings. Like everything in the Kirby one better— the Hulk looks a little more Hulk-like on the Herb one. Yeah, that's more classic Hulk. He's got that 70s hair, too. But everything else, the leader and the background, all looks better on the Kirby one because it just has style. Yeah. Just a, an interesting point of Marvel being jerks. And it sounds like not necessarily even Stan being jerks. It doesn't say that. It says that the the execs. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm always interested in stuff like this. Uh, I, it's one of those things where I wish there was just a definitive story of what went down with uh, indisputable evidence. <laughs> yeah. So last episode, was this last episode? Yeah, last episode we, um, or the Gangster Planet episode, was that last? Last episode, yes. Anyway, we mentioned that uh, uh, evil geniuses should run their plots by us. Yes. So Ethan Kellum sent a plot to us. Okay, let's see what it is. So he wants to find the Avengers and challenge them. Okay, that sounds good. And so he wants to go ahead and do his evil plan, but it doesn't actually involve the Avengers. I'm just going to read what it says. It doesn't quite make sense, but let's see if you can make sense of it. All right. 
I want to find them, challenge mm-hmm. them, and then go ahead and do my evil plan that doesn't actually involve them already. Okay. So this is very similar to the Monocle's plan who attacked the Fantastic Four and then went to the United Nations to thwart them. Yes, that makes sense. Right. Okay. Now I see where Ethan's coming from. My evil plan is to melt all the cheese on the face of the earth with mm-hmm. a microwave. Mm-hmm. It's just a normal microwave at this point. So I'm thinking about starting a Kickstarter or something for some R&D on a bigger one. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Things to think about. Let me know what you guys think. Okay. Well, I like this is a good start. Um, now, some would say, boy, don't bother engaging the Avengers if you're going to get into this cheese plot because then you're going to be on their radar. Mm-hmm. Normally, it'd be a bad idea to let the super-powered good guy team know that you're up to some cheese badness, Kevin. Yeah, because they're probably not monitoring cheese or microwave construction at all. But I think that all you have to do is you do engage the Avengers, but not in a battle. Rent the Avengers mansion for an event. Uh-huh. You know, for a wedding. The Avengers won't be able to say no to a wedding. Yeah. Going through Jarvis, he is a sentimental pushover. Rent it for a wedding. And then when you're in there, you're going to have access to all the Avengers monitoring tools. You can find out where all the best cheese sources are on the planet. And then even though it looks like they'll be on to you once the cheese starts melting, they'll be able to look back through the logs and see that somebody accessed cheese data. It'll be – they'll know that it's too convenient for you to be the actual one. They'll, they'll, they'll overthink it and blame somebody else. Okay. That's my advice. Well, hopefully, hopefully that helps you get started on that plan, Ethan. If anyone else has any uh, world-conquering plans they want to run by us, please email us at screwitspidey at gmail. We got one more email I want to read well. This is from Justin Bridge, friend Fre- of the show. F- frequent emailer. That's right. And he's talking about the comment that Reed made a few issues ago. That they couldn't arrest Mole Man for trying to conquer the Earth because he hadn't committed any crimes. That's right. So, issue. Has the Mole Man committed any crimes? He's, he, wants to, uh, he wants to look at this. Okay. And he goes, rule. Battery is, is any physical act that results in harm or injury to another without that person's consent. There are four components to consider. Did the defendant act? Did the defendant intend to cause contact? Was that contact harmful? Did the victim suffer a harmful contact? Okay. Breaking apart the two different types of battery in this issue, the house assaults on the FF and the attempted blinding of humanity. Number one. Yeah. As the FF move into their strange house, they found, in quotes, the house attacks them. Assuming that Mole Man was directing these attacks or had set up booby traps, which he pretty much admits, this would constitute battery. Mole Man acted directly and programmed his house to attack. Mole Man intended to do so. The contact was harmful. Uh, and Reed suffered injury. However, a mitigating factor in this scenario is that we are sure the uh, is that are we sure the FF bought the house? It isn't clear and absent title. And given the fact that Mole Man is defending his property, it would appear not. New York State allows the use of deadly force for home invasions. Moving into a house without being invited or permitted is trespassing. And given their power set and Mole Man's history with them, it would be understandable if he deemed them a threat. As they invaded his house uninvited, Mole Man is justified in using deadly force to defend himself. Uh, that's they cleared of one assault charge for Mole Man. Okay. Number two. However, attempting to blind the human race would be battery. Battery is considered a crime in all states, although in some states refer to lesser battery as assault. For purposes of this discussion, it is assumed that intentionally blinding people would be considered to be the highest level of battery. Given the description of the blinding device, there are likely also federal and international war crime charges to consider as well. Conclusion is that the mole man did commit a crime and he could be arrested, I guess. He committed a crime and the crime is battery by by attempting to blind the human race. That's right. That's what Justin has come to the conclusion of. Though there was no crime in attacking the FF. That was totally within his rights. I'm convinced. I think Justin would be a good lawyer for for the mole man. I mean, he's in better (laughs) standing than I thought before. Yeah, yeah. Reed would be the best lawyer because he'd be like, there's no case here. <laughs> no charges should be brought against you. Um, Justin's somewhere in between, and then it's us. We'd be bad choices because we'd be like, you did some terrible things, mole man. Yeah. The tunnels you've built underneath all the cities in the world is just, I think that's a crime against the stability of the earth. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's Also, you never were pressed charges at that time you stole cities or sent monsters up to the earth. And the statute of limitations has not passed on dropping a city into the earth. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, and you have slaves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They might be willing slaves. So that's that's I don't know how that plays. Yeah, maybe he's just having a bunch of unpaid interns. Uh anyway, that was from Justin. Thank you, Justin. That's all I got for today, Will. I love it. Um well, I hope people email us more. So Kevin, we're going to have one more episode where we'll we'll do we'll clean up some odds and ends and we'll end our season on the Fantastic 4 and then a Watchmen episode. 
Yeah, and then we'll have a Watchman Coda, which I'm looking forward to. I just dug out my trade paperback and just looking at the cover got me excited. Uh, I reread it when the series started and I, I'm jazzed up. We're probably just covering issue one, but then talking about the series as a whole. That's right. Um, I'm very excited. Me too. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Kevin, good job podcasting. Yeah, good job, Will. I was going to try to do Kennedy there, and I, I bailed immediately. Just think about it for now. You can just do one an episode. I don't yeah. think we have any unreasonable demands on you. I need a week's prep to get that out. <laughs> yeah, warm up for next episode. Great. Thank you. And uh, uh, Good job, Will. Uh, I'll talk to you next week and not before. Okay. Bye. Bye. Screw it. Screw it. We're just going to Hi folks, Sean Watkins here. I'm here to tell you about my podcast slash album called This Is Who We Are. That's right, it's a podcast and a record, all rolled into one. Each episode features one song off the record paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. Guests include Jackson Brown, Inara George, Kate Micucci, and the conversations aren't about these songs specifically. The songs just serve as sort of a topical springboard that hopefully will lend a little context to this new album of mine. Sort of like a modern day version of liner notes, only much more personal. The podcast and the album are both called This Is Who We Are. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.